Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I don't like blood and guts. But I love them when they're lengthily Welcome to the fifth episode of our Holiday Horrors. This episode is entitled Leprechaun 2, April Fool's Day! (laughs) Actually, uh, Matt, this is our seventh episode of this year. Really? April Fool's Day! I'm going to kill you right now. (laughs) Oh no, please don't. I I have a wife. I have a child. I'm wearing glasses. April Fool's Day! Hi, Paul. Hi, Matt. Uh, the ultimate April Fools is this is getting released not on April Fools. Yeah, that's the most April Fools, ever. April Fools I've ever April fooled. It'll be there sitting for you if you want it on April Fools' Day when it comes. That's right. But it will be out on uh, whatever February third, the second greatest day for jokesters and wags. <laughs> Wiseacres and cards. If it's just that the first few days of a month are just wiseacre times. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Did they... you ever do rabbit rabbit? That, that's funny. I did. Yeah. I yeah. don't know anything about where that comes from or. Was it the first of every month? I think so. Yeah. But I, I was always just told rabbit. Now you, maybe I should have been doubling up and that's why I didn't have great fortune. Oh, well, the person who told me about it was uh, John Updike, so he probably had a little... Oh, yeah. He works for just, Big Rabbit. Yeah, He's getting all the pushbacks for all the sales on his goddamn books just for people saying, Rabbit, Rabbit, I'm going to go buy Watership Down. Yeah, uh, there's enough uh, rabbits as they are the way they reproduce. You don't know, need to yeah, uh, say it twice. Yeah. Well, this is our podcast with Gorley and Rust. And uh, yeah, we're talking about April Fool's Day today. Matt, if people enjoy this podcast, what can they do to enhance their lives? Paul, I'll tell you. You can listen to the free feed, but... You can also subscribe at Patreon and get the episodes a week early, ad-free, mm-hmm. plus mailbag episodes, plus bonus episodes like cozy tournaments and cozy mm-hmm. brackets, and feature-length commentary episodes Ooh. with some extra special news that we're going to start experimenting with that time slot of the yeah. month, which is the fourth Tuesday of every month. 
throwing in some ranking episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we threw it out to the trustees. That's the people that subscribe to the Patreon. And they gave us some great suggestions, mm-hmm. one of which we both really like too, which is a kind of movies that made us sort of thing where yeah. one of us can bring a movie that we love in our lives, even if it's not a well-known movie or something. Mm-hmm. And we'll discuss that. But also rankings, I think we might sort of start with like, yeah. Top five or top ten best horror scores or Love something it. like that. That is perfect. Yeah. We'll yeah. still do commentaries here yeah. and then, but we just may rotate that through a little bit. We've got to keep it spicy. That's right. That's right. And also, uh, uh, I just thought about it. Getting to hear those scores, the top ten, it's perfect for audio. Yes. Perfect for audio. That's right, man. We're not doing like the scariest faces of horror movies. No. Yeah. And we're not doing... Uh, best silent movie horror movies. Yeah, I mean, that would be, hey, that'd wait be a minute, maybe I yeah. should have. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, uh, also uh, in, in other business, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to be, uh, so we're closing shop on the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll be returning to open shop. Beep, zip, zip, zip. For the uh, Final Destination movies, those five beautiful Final Destinations. Yeah, the five destinations. The five finals. The final fives. That's right. We're back on February the 24th if you're a Patreon subscriber. Now, if you're a freebie in the bean, then you can come back on the week after and get it with all those pesky ads. And that's uh, March 3rd. Yes. Yes. The Ides of March minus 12. Yeah, the Ides of March is kind of the ultimate practical joke that was pulled off in the first week of the month. Yeah, really. Uh, And you could also say December 6th, uh, or when was Pearl Harbor? December 7th. That was a practical joke. (laughs) It was. It was certainly a surprise. Uh, D-Day was a practical joke on the Nazis. That's right. A and, surprise. And when what what's the date of June sixth? Maybe that's where you're getting the sixth. Oh yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm not trying to be an edge lord here, but September eleventh. That's early on the month. I wonder how many <laughs> if if attacks happen more at the beginning of the month than the end. Let's ask Nostradamus. <laughs> Nostradamus. Nostradamus, bad Stradamus. Yes, Stradamus. Yes, Stradamus. Uh, uh, I used to be real scared of Nostradamus. Really? Because when I was a kid, you know how I was afraid of earthquakes, nuclear war, and slashers? Yes. There was this film, I think it was even narrated by Orson Welles, about uh-huh. Nostradamus. It was really cheesy and sensational, uh-huh. but it was like he kept predicting nuclear war and like the big earthquake, which of course Nostradamus was thinking about Southern California (laughs) back whenever he was getting dipping his wick into his bullshit. And that's what got me on the train to science going, this sounds like bullshit to me. To help alleviate the yeah, fear. But it wasn't, it was partially like, give me science so I can illuminate or alleviate the fear. But also my bullshit detector was going off going, mm. first of all, the people that seem to be buying this seem skeptical to me mm-hmm. or suspicious. Mm-hmm. And also just this sensationalism of all this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Nostradamus, bad Stradamus. Yeah. I, I think anything that you're kind of feeling like, yeah, that's sort of getting me, uh, whipped up in a weird way mm-hmm. as a kid you got to kind of get to the bottom of that yeah, figure do. out what's going on that's right um the uh uh do you think um it's ever like 
I was thinking about this a few days ago. I was like, oh, um, I was really just enjoying my iPhone and the conveniences it was bringing me. Yeah. And I was thinking about in olden times when people had to have things by candlelight, you know, right. at nighttime when they wanted to read, they had to like start a fire. Yeah. And I was, so I was just comparing that and I was like, if I didn't have technology, I, I, I would be much more susceptible to, uh, susceptible isn't the right word. I'd just be more open to religion. Yeah, you wouldn't be alone. It has. That's why I think it really thrived. The, the trade-off was made there, right? Yeah. I'm not making saying anything new, but yeah. it's just like, it is the thing that like. It but, was the only printed word for years, right? Yeah, but then in, in some ways, you know, I think about it. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, um, April Fool's Day. <laughs> up, we're up there with the great classics of the Bible is April Fool's Day. Let's talk April Fool's Day. Yes. We'll get to the baby Zenos at the end. Um, oh, yes. Uh, people who subscribe to our Patreon at the highest yeah. level of the baby Xenomorph, they get their names read on the right. episode. So we've previously gone from Black Christmas to New Year's Evil mm-hmm. to uh, uh, my bloody Valentine. my bloody Valentine to Leprechaun to April Fool's Day. Uh, I gotta say, pretty good batch. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Um, I mean, the 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 goodies, the 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 top tiers have been uh, uh, Black Christmas and uh, my bloody Valentine. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and then New Year's Evil beats Leprechaun. But they're both kind of mid-tier. We'll find out how we felt about April Fool's Day. Interesting. Um, uh, I thought it was a romp. What an entertainment. I had a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. I did too, ultimately. I was Mm. skeptical for a while. It took me a while to get into it. And then by the end, I I was really quite enjoying it. It, Yes. I'm curious if... Because I had some sort of parts that were like... "Eh, And I think it was some sort of like pacing thing or something. It was just. I'm with you here. It would sometimes like, it would be kind of this like fun, cranked up post slasher slasher where we're like having fun with the conventions and the rules. But then sometimes there would just be a scene with uh, Amy Steele and Muffy in the kitchen being weird. And it felt like it was a scene from a 70s, like, (laughs) let's scare Jessica to death. Yeah. Solemn, like yeah. earnest horror movie in those moments that I also liked. Uh, right. But when it would kind of slow down to those moments, I was like, I thought this was the prank movie. Or I know. And the cinematography was so good. It was almost more in keeping with those 70s mm-hmm. f- moments. Same with the score. Yeah. And the, the score. And then when they had the flashbacks and it kind of has that gauzy yeah. slasher slashback. Slashback. Uh, yeah. Um, and yet, so it was like some, some of it was still very hollow and kind of a little soulless at times. My, Yes. The thing I loved about it most is it uh, it does seem to be, uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I thought when it was done, I was like, oh, the people who made this cared more about making this movie than most slashers yeah, I yeah. see. Like in, in terms of having it be surprising or well-crafted or having the performances and originality. So to this day, that's like what I give it points for. The the thing, and I wonder if this is like 
the hollowness, because I, I feel you on that. The hollowness I feel is with Amy Steele's character because she's so awesome as uh, uh, Ginny yeah. in, in Friday the 13th Part 2. There are just some scenes between her and the guy, Rob, from uh, Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Yeah. That they're just not talking. Like, she yeah. could be... And and the whole story is about his, like, my career and what's my future in my career. And she's just there as the kind of girlfriend being like, baby, you got to believe in yourself. I'm like, fucking rewatch a Friday waste. 13th Part yeah, 2. waste. Re-switch it so it is through her eyes because she's the most interesting actor yeah. in any of the Friday 13th movies. Well, let's roll up our sleeves on this yeah. because that, maybe it is the characters that I had the hardest time with. You've got the two ostensible leads but it is almost like they're thinking those are our straight characters. So we just, it's almost like we actively can't develop them because they've just got to be everybody. Mm. And then we'll surround them with all these characters, but those mm. characters were so overbearing and obnoxious. so forced and obnoxious. And it made me think of how you've mentioned on the podcast before that horror movies in particular, the slasher franchises went from likable victims to you know, abhorrent killer to loving the killer and not liking the victim, so you enjoy seeing them bumped off. This seems like right on that threshold. And is it maybe the first that's almost doing the first kind of meta thing that way? Where it Gorley, I right on the opening scene, the first three sentences are about that. Remember, it starts on the face of uh, Nikki. Yeah, and she's like, I'm so and so. I like to help poor children. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, I right. like to help children who are in need. Yeah. I like to, um, uh, I love my mother and I'm, uh, and I want to put good things out into the world. And she started, it sounded like a Miss America thing. Yeah. And then she went and I fuck on the first date and yeah. everybody started laughing. And I was like, Oh, that just tracked the arc of the slasher victim. Yeah. of just like you do when she, she got me. I mean, that was yeah. what April Fool's Day is, I guess. But yeah. she tricked me when she said that. I was like, oh, thank God. This is still in the mode of like victims that you care about. And then when it like <laughs> she started slathering on, I'm like, oh, I'm getting pranked. Yeah. And as far as it goes, I fuck on the first date. As a, I love that way as a way to show that they're rascals. But yeah, Chaz was just so. Yeah, Chaz and Arch. Was Thomas it? F. Wilson's yeah. character. Is that what his name is? Was Arch. It like Archie? Yeah. Yeah. Those. That was I love Thomas F. Wilson. Me too. But those guys got fed some bad charisma poison. I think so. And have you read in the notes? Thank you again, as always, Brantley. Thank you, Brantley Palmer. That the director um, had all these actors hang out together at a hotel before shooting so they could kind of develop a rapport. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that might've actually backfired. <laughs> I mean, there, I, there, there's times where I see that, like there's times where everybody, when they're hanging out on the dock, those are my favorite parts. Cause it does remind me of that part in Friday the 13th part two, when they're just like walking and you can tell they're just like, just talk. And yeah. you know, so people are talking over each other and it does feel like relaxed and loose, but yeah, there's something at some point where maybe <laughs> it's the thing where um, when people hang out too long and they start absorbing each other's personality uh, qualities. Yeah. Or they're thinking like that person's got a lot of characters, so they're going to get a lot of, they're going to shine on screen. I better match that. Yes. You know? Yes. Because Archie 
uh, Chaz and Skip were yeah. all kind of in the same mold. Yeah. And I'd be curious when this movie came out, but it felt, or when it was made, definitely after 16 Candles, it just felt like they were uh, kind of doing the Anthony Michael Hall thing guy of like, yeah. I am possessing an overwhelming amount of charisma that shouldn't be there, but it is. And that is such a tough thing to do because if people don't think it should be there, they agree that they're like, yeah, what's this fucking worm doing? Like Chaz. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, did you find it? Did you like, I mean, none of the characters had like a super substance. I liked Muffy mm-hmm. quite a bit and I really liked her performance too. Yeah. yeah. Her little uh, reveal at the end was well done. And, and uh, just even when she's kind of crazy in the middle, you know, and I yes, and in the world where that's supposed to be an alternate character or her twin, uh-huh. when it was revealed as her twin, I was like, oh yeah, she did a good job of playing it. Like yeah. the actress when I believed that there was two people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess Skip was decent, like when he had to get all sad. Um, yeah. Hey, can we talk about, I just did a little math oh, here right yeah. before we started recording. So I was like, oh, that's Griffin O'Neill. Is that the Griffin O'Neill who killed somebody? Yeah. And I went and did the dates. April Fool's Day comes out end of March, 86. In that movie, Griffin O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill's son. Ryan O'Neill's son. Yeah. Causes harm to that guy on the dock through a boating accident. Two months later, end of May, 1986. Griffin O'Neill, Ryan O'Neill's son, kills Francis Ford Coppola's son, Giancarlo, in a boating accident. Yeah. Was it, it was accidental. I don't know anything about it. Was it was accidental, just like April Fool's Day. Yeah. And in April Fool's Day, his first response is to like drink and fall into like, set, and that is Griffin O'Neill's like Is that what happened? Life, what became yes. of him? Boy, did he, he just stopped acting or what? Um, no, I think he to, continued acting, but I, you know, did he have even to, if like, he hadn't done that, his life probably would have, you know, the yeah. O'Neill's are right. a yeah. tortured group. That's, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> did he go to jail or anything? I, he, he did get put on probation and he was fired because he was starring in a, he was acting in a Coppola movie. Which one? Uh, Gardens of Stone, oh. which is about parent-child loss relationships already. What? And he was in Coppola's movie when yeah. he killed his son? Oh, and during they the, Yeah, out. they're hanging out on a vacation. <sighs> Coppola's son uh, was working to be a director eventually. He's like following in his father's footsteps and was like, would work on the sets. He goes off with his peer, Griffith O'Neill. And, what yeah, happened? Like, really, why is he responsible? Did he... It's a really... Uh, like a I, I'm not going to try to be glib as I say yeah. this. I'll just try to be matter of fact. It was like... Uh, or try to be cheeky or whatever. Griffith O'Neill was driving a boat fast. I think he, he was drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, was coming between a tow line between two boats he saw it at the last minute ducked and then that tow line, they kept going under it. Giancarlo, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name in the back got hit by the tow line. And then when he was 
knocked down. Oh uh, I think it was killed in. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I no idea. I didn't know about any about this until I read up on it. Yeah. Yeah, and just that. Um, yeah, it just would have to be a really. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, his life is, I mean, like anybody's life, is just like high highs and low lows yeah. and peaks and valleys and stuff. And during that time in his life, he was, you know, making movies because he was bankrupt. Right. And so he's doing these studio jobbers and to have that happen. And then his next movie was, I guess, Tucker, Tucker, a man in his dream. But the yeah. one after that is about like, you're the head of a family and your child dies. Like it's that's all right. Really, Godfather three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oof. but, uh, yeah, I thought he was good as skip and that scene on the dock. It's funny. I thought that was going to be like an April fool's prank or not on the dock, um, on the porch when he's like, Oh, I thought they were studying, doing a monologue or a scene from a theater class because she kept talking about acting. Yes. It's, and I was like, oh, I'm maybe I'm supposed to recognize this. Is this like from a... So you thought that too. LB I thought at the very end they were going to go, okay, now let's try to do that again. Yeah. But and then I was like, oh, no, that was just a serious yeah. scene. The, the most serious scene of the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about where you'd put this in the... I mean, we can do something differently and sort of start with a ranking of these five um, holiday films because I'm having a real, I do put Black Christmas and My Bloody Valentine like you in a top Mm -hmm. tier. And then I put New Year's Evil and April Fool's Day in a middle tier and Leprechaun Mm -hmm. on a lower tier. Mm -hmm. I'm having a really tough time putting New Year's Evil or this one above one another. I can't decide which I like more. Oh, yeah. Uh, April Fool's for me is third place. Above New Year's Evil. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say high high above. Okay. Because New Year's Evil, I liked as an artifact of a time period in Los Angeles. Certainly, that's all you have to like about it. And (laughs) I I do too. And But for that reason, I like it quite a bit. Yes. And I'm... Hungry to rewatch it again just to see like him running around on a baseball diamond in the valley at nighttime. It was like so comforting. Uh, uh, but yeah, so you said it's better than for you than 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 uh, 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 Leprechaun or than New Year's Evil, but not by that much. Uh, it's I know I don't know I don't know which I like better because mm-hmm. yeah I think this is a better movie. Mm-hmm. But I really did not enjoy a lot of time spent with the characters. So when when mm-hmm. it started getting rolling like an Agatha Christie kind of thing, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're just having scenes with the boys wrestling and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, if we're being honest, being a lot like boys of that time were... But yeah. I don't. I don't really enjoy watching it, and just the characters are not very likable, except for a couple. Do you and think? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, so I don't know whether I'd put this or New Year's Evil because New Year's Evil, it is its own weird thing, and there's something I really like about it. It's just so odd, so odd. Yeah, is it the maybe the? Um, it is odd. Is it like the sincerity of its oddness? Like it just is accidentally kind of a weird, odd movie, whereas yeah. April Fool's Day is like 
crafted that way. Yeah. And I give it points for that. Yeah. But the ultimately, I think the ending of this movie is undone by the little thing they put at the, 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 the hat on a hat mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about the alternate ending. Yes. As yeah. As well. I mean, that ending also is just, uh, I think also I, I like this movie is, it is like a, um, and as moments come along, I'll try to remember them, but like it, it is just a Friday 13th sequel because it's like Frank Mancuso Jr. Yeah. who produced all of the sequels parts two through five up until that point. Um, it came out two months before Jason Lives, Friday 6. Did he produce that? Yeah. How far did he go into the series? He, on 5, he was sort of let other people do it, and he was just doing it, like, I think in title only. But then he got more hands-on, I think, around 6, because he felt like it was going astray. And then 7th and 8 is when other producers, I think, started shepherding it. But Frank Mancuso Jr., Frank Mancuso Sr. was, like, one of the top distribution dogs at Paramount. So he's giving his son this like fun, cushy job of like getting to be on horror movies and stuff. That's amazing. But um, with Amy Steele being the star, the music, the setting, it all feels like it could be like a sequel to a Friday 13th movie. And in the same way that Jason Lives is like a uh, half send up of slasher movies. Yeah. This is the same. Like, if people like Jason Lives, I think they would like this. Yeah. And it's almost, I admire it because they, you can tell that they were like, well, the audience is no longer surprised by slashers. They're ahead of the curve now. It used to be we were ahead of the curve and like they didn't know that these nice people were going to be getting axes in their heads and Kevin Bacon would get, you know. Uh, So they got to find a new way to surprise. And so I like that they're, I like it when it's not uh it did seem to be like to me like a a, a celebration of Friday thirteenth movies. Yeah. But um but also um uh like I've watched parts two and three, parts one through three, four of Friday thirteenth so much that I think it's even the same nighttime cricket sounds like uh, i bet it is i look yeah. down because it's paramount started, i'm sure it's look, yes. same sound library yes yeah. exactly i heard it I was like oh and it was so comforting to hear the same like <laughs> well, i'm just putting and together- then that end is like a it's almost like a spoof of friday 13 that's like that's true her getting jumped out behind the canoe and getting pulled down instead it's I wink and I look to the camera. You're right. That ending doesn't work for me for April Fool's Day. I'm just putting together not I put it together, but I'm really like crystallizing the fact that not a single person dies in this movie, in this slasher movie. Yeah, not even there's not even at the end somebody goes like, uh oh no. I mean So it's an ultimate April Fool's joke. The film itself. Oh, the audience. Is. Yeah. Okay. That maybe knocks it up above New Year's Evil for me. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I I thought like the the thing that adds to what you're saying that I thought was like the end credits music was like doopsie goofy goof. <laughs> and I thought when the audience was standing up and walking out of the theater and hearing that song, that probably didn't feel good. No. Nor is having that person of all people slice her throat with a different hairstyle because it was shot much later. 
I was taking a beat going, who is that person mm-hmm. cutting her? I didn't even recognize her as, is it Nan? What is yeah, it? it was the uh, wallflower girl yeah. who had an abortion. It was a, such a weird choice. Why make she, her look different when your brain has like only a microsecond yes. to try to figure out what her connection, yeah. It was so strange. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, when she... Um, Oh, oh yeah, what you were saying, like nobody dies. Like, I think that's why this movie probably wasn't a hit. Yeah. Because you can't tell your friends about it later. You're just sort of like, and it's all pretend. Or back in those days, people <gasps> probably did tell their friends, and everybody's like, well, I don't want to see a movie where nobody dies. Yes, right. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And then there's no like word of mouth yeah and How- then the sex scenes are like played for laughs there's no real for nudity sure. Which and, is and they have the scene where the guy's like in the weird body position yeah and it went from an, a scene of Chaz in a weird body sex position with no nudity to a scene where uh skip i think gets killed and it's just the silhouette of his head and a hand coming in and bonking him on the back of the head and yeah. i was like a gorehound would be so bummed and mad at this movie, being like, I paid money yeah. for a horror movie and you're goofing around with the sex scenes and you're not showing people get killed on screen. I want my money back. Yeah, because it's also <laughs> out of tone too, where the right. characters are like really using vulgar language and, you know, like I fuck on the first date and you think you're in for, well, this is going to be kind of a hardcore slasher. We're going to see lots of mm-hmm. gore, lots of nudity and as movies at this time were big on and then none of it. It just, it it's odd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It doesn't... um it's kind of trying to present itself as like a real, I don't know, like a, maybe is this the first we're not, elevated horror movie? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also like, um, you know, because it's funny in any, not just Friday 13th movies, any slasher movie, there's always the one character who's the prankster who they get at least one surprise yeah. in the movie when Shelly, you know, yeah. Friday 13th part three doesn't really have a slit throat or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, but it's as if you did a slasher where every character was Shelly. Yes. And the filmmakers were also Shelly. And you're the person, the audience person is the person. I mean, the first reveal um, when the dock accident where the guy gets knocked off and drowns. That's just a heightened version of Ned's, the the original practical jokester in Friday 13th. Mm. He pretends to drown off the dock yeah. and they save him. So it was like, what if we just did a whole movie where it was yeah. this, which truth be told in a slasher, it's my least favorite thing when it's like, no, it wasn't really, it was yeah. just a joke. But Let me get this straight. So Nobody there knows about Muffy's plan. It's only when they're fake killed, which we never see, that she then lets them in on it, right? Like they weren't all in on it from the beginning. This seems to be a point of confusion for people because I've seen a few reviews of this where they're like, once you find out the twist, it doesn't make any sense why you'd see the scene in the well and all this stuff because neither uh, Amy Uh Steele or... Ken, what's his name, were there and they're the ones having the joke played on them. But I think there's one quick line where they, they're basically like once they're isolated and killed, it's almost like a game of paintball where it's like, you're killed now. Will you play along with me? I see. That helps because my first, when I heard that, 
my first thought was like, what about all those scenes where they're not around and they're committing to this? That's so weird. Yeah. I did hear that line about, so, uh, as opposed to me being like that movie fucked up, I will assume that that line exists in there and they didn't, uh, fuck up. But like, um, cause I heard some sort of thing like, well, you know, there were some surprises like the snake was there. Yeah. And, and she so kicked I was it like, away. I, I like that. Yeah. 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 But then I was like, Oh, did Thomas F. Wilson know he would get roped up? It was just the snake. That was the surprise. No, he didn't know he'd get roped up. She comes to like, she's basically on the way to say, I killed you. I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. But then finds a snake and like, I don't really want my friend to die. Kicks the snake away and then we don't see her. Yes. Um, Clue him in, I think. Yeah, I I bet it was the paintball scenario. And given that it is, if I was Amy Steele or the guy Rob, (laughs) I would be so angry at their smugness when they revealed the prank. It was and like, don't you got anything? pranked too, guys. Like, yeah. don't act like, oh, you got one on me. It's just like, you got the numbers <laughs> yeah. to make me feel embarrassed. It was just by virtue that not everybody was in on it. Uh, yeah. I did think the order was cool though, because it, you know how a lot of times when we watch slashers, like, why is the person they're most angry at the 10th person they kill? Yeah. But it made sense. She took off Skip and Archie first, and those would be the people you would believe the boat driver would kill because his son got disfigured in the accident caused by them and stuff. So there was some like, it didn't follow, (laughs) but yeah. Do you want to talk about the alternate ending just because we're talking about how this does end? So yeah. It was a whole different third act, apparently, that they shot and then just completely scrapped. Uh, yes. After, and and in Brantley Palmer's notes, he said that Shout Factory, they, they just assumed this footage doesn't exist because they wanted to re-release the movie with the deleted ending and they, you know, scoured and they couldn't find it. But yeah, it was, it's the scene after Buffy says the joke, uh, ha ha, this has all been a joke. We're all in on it. I'm doing this as a rehearsal for my whodunit Airbnb. Yeah, I love that. Airbnb. Uh, hmm, easy, Paul. <laughs> Somebody says that in that movie. Like, what do you mean? It's like, I'll tell you later. Cool your jets, man. You're you want to blow be the time space continuum. We've already got Biff here from the from the past. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, wait, what were we? So, so what was it? Yeah, it, Skip is revealed to be her brother, like in this one. Yes. But the reason he's at, okay. So what happens is this whole thing unfolds. Yep. Everybody's packing and going to leave for the weekend. Skip convinces, I think Archie and Chaz and Amy and Ron to go back to play a prank on Muffy. They'll be like, won't that be fun? She got us. Let's go get her. Yes. But he actually ends up killing them all or some of them. Mm-hmm. And the motivation being something they've set up in the movie that you never see paid off. And that is she gets to inherit the house and he gets nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it connects to the whole inheriting the house yeah. thing. And I think he was also supposed to be in the twist at the end with the knife slitting instead of that girl. Yeah. And he wanted to kill her because then, um, right, right, right. You said the inheritance. Then, yeah. But then also that this whole kind of ruse would have been a help cover his murder of her in a way, right? Like, I guess. It, it somehow, I think, 
he hitched his idea to her ideas. Sort of what cracks me up is that the twist is just falls so flat. The, the twist at the end, the theatrical version, mm-hmm. because the person's using a movie prop knife, throat slitting knife with a cutaway for the throat and a bulb to spurt blood, all of which the victim themselves could never see or understand what is happening because yeah. they wouldn't feel anything. <laughs> so like it would be just this weird She's like, thing. I'm imagining this. This is scary. Yeah, it's purely only for an onlooker that doesn't exist theoretically. Well, it reminds me of like, you know, those Police Academy movies when Michael Winslow makes a sound from across the room and people think it's emanating from <laughs> themselves. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> Somebody looks at their burger. Yeah. Like, I can't believe I made that sound that was over 10 feet to the right of me. It's like the librarian in Last Crusade who's stamping the books. Oh, my, that drove me Gig- giggly. <laughs> I loved it. I was going to say angry, too. but no. No, I do too. Well, I mean, at least he is stamping hard. So, hey, we're going to get to discuss it. Oh, yeah. The Jones scene in The Last Crusade. That's right. If you haven't heard, go on over to the James Bonding podcast feed. Mm-hmm. We're doing five episodes of Indiana Jonesing, me, Paul, and Matt Myra. Uh, uh. We're recording indie uh, Raiders later this week. Yeah, yeah, we went and saw it already. That's right, we did. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 well, you know that opens with a very famous Paramount logo. Loco. Should we just start from there? Yeah. Uh, um. So, just to revisit it now, how are you feeling in terms of the rankings of the holidays? You mean of the movies? Yeah. Are you so yeah. now you're feeling maybe April from Fool. worst to first? I go Leprechaun, New Year's Evil, April Fool's Day, My Bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, with a significant amount of space between Black Christmas and My Bloody Valentine. Even though mm-hmm. I liked My mm-hmm. Bloody Valentine quite a bit, mm-hmm. Black Christmas is just stellar. Oh my gosh, number one with uh, two bullets. Yeah, and then I'd put some distance between My Bloody Valentine and April Fools, and not much distance between that mm. and. Um, New Year's Evil, and then a fair amount of distance between that and Leprechaun, which I really did not enjoy. And the block of space before Leprechaun would be all green. Yeah. 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 What about you? Uh, Same. Yeah. It's a a Black Christmas with a bullet. Number one with a bullet. Mm. 20% down. Gotcha. My Bloody Valentine. 10% down. April My percentages Fool. are weird with April Fool's Day. And then uh, 20 down, mm. New Year's Evil, and then way down. Yeah. Leprechaun. Leprechaun could have been, it, 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 if it, if the scary parts had been scarier and the funny parts had been funnier, it'd be yeah. you know, further up. But The thing that April Fool's Day and New Year's Evil is missing that My Bloody Valentine really has is the likable gang of people the interesting at least you know you're right and Ape, black, black christmas. christmas of course they're, they're not all likable but by design they're really interesting they're good characters you know margot kidder so oh my gosh you could essentially the way the spectrum of your movie ranking works out is the dedicate the level of dedication to having dimension within the characters yeah uh yeah <laughs> it goes from like Margot Kidder's character in Blast Christmas, which I would say had yeah most was fully you know had full dimensions, 
and then uh, to like uh, <laughs> Francis from Pee Wee's Big Adventure and, oh, and Leprechaun. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, and either of that guy Ken Olance is that his name? His oh yeah, characters. Yes. Unfortunately, um, he's the perfect mix of Kevin Bacon and um, Kevin Dillon. <laughs> They got the Kevin. It's Kevin Heaven. The mix guy. you didn't know you needed, and <laughs> and you didn't. Uh, <clears throat> before we get the the logo, uh, you you hadn't seen this before, right? So That's this right. is your first. And but the poster is pretty famous. Yeah, poster is pretty famous. I think maybe a part of the reason I didn't give it its full due when I watched it too is you know my rating system, and I was just having an okay day it was it was a hectic mm-hmm. day yesterday with glenn and so i had to watch it at night and i was pretty tired and mm-hmm. that can mm-hmm. affect you but now with a little bit of, in my rearview mirror i'm appreciating it a bit more i think it's april 2nd now it's You're safe like, yeah, yeah i know people are telling me the <laughs> truth um we um uh have uh only one framed movie poster in our house and it is april fool's day really uh-huh wow. it's in our den and is uh, that you or Leslie or both uh, of you? Leslie. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think she told me that she liked, she grew up just being fascinated by that poster yeah. that we got and then framed it. Um, but uh, if, for people who don't remember, it's like a braid that looks like a noose and it's on the back of it. It's brilliant. Presumably Buffy. Yeah. Um, Interesting sort of spoiler in a way. Yeah. Um, and also kind of a false advertising because when there is a news, I was like, I want it to be made of hair. I- <laughs> What's this rope news <laughs> shit? Does Leslie like the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, 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 the art getting that poster follows my philosophy of I think a poster should that gets put up should be more about the aesthetic pleasure it brings rather than the. The, personal significance yeah. to the movie if that makes uh-huh. sense you know what i mean yeah. i'd rather see somebody's weird howling three poster than an annie hall poster same here in fact <laughs> let me just bring up i've probably brought this up on the show before but you're was, like i want to get you this halloween <laughs> howling three poster paul this poster to charles bronson's movie saint ives Oh, I love that. He's in that suit with the gun. He's got that yeah, lady and, and it looks like um it's like art deco. Yes. Or art new or art right, right. Nouveau. It looks like it could be a, a stained glass portrait in a, a Godfather's. It's amazing. Look at that. I mean, it's just damn. Oh, that one's good too, because I usually see the one that's like on a video box, but that one's good, like how it's yeah, uh, which uh Yeah. The one I'm thinking is the Warner's box. Um, oh, this one? Do you, would you get a St. Ives poster? I think if I got one, but I've since watched that movie just based on the poster. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, I can Charles Bronson's Mona Lisa smile to me. I, I can't tell if he's good or his movies are good. I mean, I know what they are, but I can't. Sometimes I'm just like, this is absolute horseshit. And then sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I get the appeal. But this movie, 
is based on a book called The Procrane Chronicle, which you know is a mm-hmm. title form I love. Yes. So it's a pen name of an author named Ross Thomas who wrote a bunch of great books that I started hmm. reading because I watched this movie. And oh. I really enjoyed those books. So I have that to thank. And also this movie has a very young Jeff Goldblum playing a little bit part as a thug. Wow, because Jeff Goldblum's also a thug in Death Wish. Yes, and and when he came on Conan last time, I said, you popped up in a movie I watched as a little thug, and I think he thought I was going to say Death Wish, and I said St. Ives, and he went, oh, yes. You know, I also played a little thug in uh, Death Wish 3. <laughs> so wild that he's like Bronson's. Do you think Bronson's like, I know this creep. Give me that tall guy, kid. Give me hey. that lanky tall guy. That's a good Bronson, my man. Thank you. Uh, uh, I found out later a character who I would always, I like this line, how it was delivered in The Simpsons. I listened to commentary later yeah. and found out it was Charles Bronson they were doing. Yeah, and he's a repeating character. Gil, right? Gil, Gil. You, no, that's, oh, no, that's not. That's no, more yeah, their um, Jack, Jack Lemmon guy. Yes, right. Uh, but that's this right. guy does it. Uh, Mrs. Krabappel, it's the, it's the episode where Bart pretends to be Gordie Howe and writing her love letters and stuff. And they're just trying to show at the beginning how Mrs. Krabappel sort of has a shitty life. And she goes into the auto mechanic. Oh, that's right. Let's and he go goes, auto- sugar in the gas tank. Your ex-husband strikes again. <laughs> I'm going to Emmett's fix it shop to fix Emmett. <laughs> that's what it that's another Simpsons line. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh with Corley and Rust. With Corley. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, yeah, uh, um, but yeah, Charles Bronson. Ooh, I can't wait until we talk to ten, about 10 to midnight We got to cover my that. Friend. Some, yeah. Sooner or later, we got to do another one-offs season because I really enjoyed that. Oh, yes. I think so too. Maybe after the Shining series or maybe before it. Maybe before the Shining series because the Shining... Oh, I'm so glad I remembered this. I was going to write it down. I was about to fall asleep and I was like, you don't remember it. And I didn't until now. If we do a little Shining thing and it's in spring, if we wanted to connect it to this Spring King Fling. Yeah. It would be the Spring King Fling Shining. Oh, that's so good. Okay, okay.
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we could do that after because I love those one-offs and I got some one-offs I'm just down <gasps> to talk about you with my friend Matt. Te- could you tease any or you want to save them? Uh, probably some of the ones that like were left over. Also, it really, ooh, this is dangerous territory. I won't even up. remember if you say anything. No, well, what I was going to say was if we pull a mini band-aid a bit of going, there might be some movies where we ain't gonna tackle the whole franchise. Yeah, I think that's clear. Leprechaun <laughs> being one of them. Right, Leprechaun would be an example of that. Um, I'm not saying this necessarily because I could see us watching the whole franchise of the Omen movies, but I've never seen the Omen. Oh. So I'm just like, hey, what if I just pick the Omen and then I watch the Omen and I get to have the experience? Yeah, I don't know that we'd ever do that full franchise, so that would be fair. Yeah. We did talk about that one thing of like covering franchises with two movies. So you mm-hmm. like so, you know, like The Exorcist or something. Yeah. Although I could see doing the full Exorcist because I'm so curious about the the Paul Schrader and uh, Rennie Harlan versions of yes of that. Maybe that would uh, kind of ramp up around the time of the reboot. Oh, yeah. Um, the sh- re-exorcist. The rexorcist. The rexorcist. The T-rexorcist. Oh, I, yeah. I look for... I've. This is like the feels like the first time I've seen a classic that you haven't. I'm usually the ones that, that hasn't seen the movie. So, The Omen. Well, and I'm such a non-adventurous, non-curious... Film goer, I, wish, I don't think that. At I all. wish I was way more. Oh, I think you're way. So, no, more but look at if you check me. the the scales, my man. I always choose movies that I've seen before. Me you, too. No, 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 you are much more adventurous. Big time, big time, big time. Check the record. But I think that's you because I've seen a that, lot less. Mo- you've seen more of these movies mm, than I have. Mm, mm, mm. If I just followed your philosophy, then I would just pick movies that I haven't seen. But there hardly are any because you've no, seen them all. No, that's not true. There's The Omen and Motel Hell are the only two horror movies you've never seen. <laughs> my, the two, my two friends who have the biggest movie-going appetites, and I'm just like, wow. They love movies. They love watching movies, and they'll watch anything, is Mike Mitchell of the Doughboys and uh, Neil Campbell. I had a feeling those are the people you're going to I'll just sit around and listen to them talk. Hey, have you seen this? Yeah, I watched that. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah. And I liked it because of this. Yeah, but that part was really good too. It's just like, it's like sitting around Cisco and Ebert. It's it's really fun. I have a little bit of a dearth in my life of those type of people. So you are probably my biggest version of that that I have. So what I roll up in like... Uh, I found a teaser trailer for Mr. Mom. <laughs> I wish that was true. Oh my, oh God. my God. I wish that the was true. rare unearthed third act, alternate third act to Mr. Mom. Where she sits down the family and she sucks off Martin Mole in front of everyone. <laughs> that is such a filthy thing. I dropped an hour into this right now. Arch. Right? Oh, this guy, get him out to Nantucket Island or wherever they're doing <laughs> Muffy's Hotel Funhouse. Yeah, you, I should be the first victim there, the way I just said such a naughty <laughs> that was thing. really funny, though. Speaking of funny, I said this to you before, but if you haven't seen Paul on Instagram, did a little visual comic oh juxtaposition between Home Alone and Tar, and I'll leave it at that because it should be viewed on its own, and it killed me. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. It uh, killed me. My wife just recently asked me to do an Instagram so she could regram it and or, or put it on her um, 
what's that called when you just it goes up for a bit and then stories. Sorry, she, yeah. Um it is a pretty wild. I think I shared it on the poltergeist commentary, but the detail um poltergeist oh, has all I kinds of weird this, stuff yeah. around it. I'd never heard that detail. I've but heard a this, lot of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't this is a weird detail, and it's like one of those that is just like it's a little like your anti your Nostradamus thing. Where where it's just like not that it's like real, but more it's an eerie coincidence. It's an eerie coincidence. It's more yeah. like Nostradamus than an anti-Nostradamus. But the little boy has a poster in Poltergeist, has a poster on his wall that says Super Bowl 22, 1988 on it. Um, it's an odd thing to see on somebody's wall in that movie because the movie came out in 82, was likely filmed in 81. So why, so yeah. why do they have... Someone made that. Uh, yes. And I think somebody's managed to find, cause I did, um, years ago, somebody used to do these breakdowns of people's props and bedrooms and movies. So they'd be like, you can get this toy from e Elliot's room in ET. Mm. And they were like the Super Bowl poster, I think was made, but it was made as like an exhibitional thing to like oh, a promotional a city. Yeah. Like an early promotional thing because uh, somebody added later to the detail on my Instagram that San Diego didn't get the rights to the Super Bowl until 1984. So this poster floating up is really weird. And would it have been them lobbying to get it? Yes. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And so the, uh, um, it's just a weird poster and you just go, oh, they probably, this has to be the case. They chose it because aesthetically it just looks really good in yeah. a little boy's bedroom. It's like a drawing of a football player and stuff. And it's a Super Bowl 22. The weird thing about it, that would already be weird. Like I'm just like, oh, that's a weird poster they chose to put up. What makes it weirder is the date of that Super Bowl 22nd what, in San Diego was the same date, the exact same day that the actress who played Carol Ann in San Diego went to the hospital and died. And she's in that, she's in the bed right next to that poster. So it's just like a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. She died in San Diego on that day that the poster is predicted seven years from then. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Hey, Nostradamus, uh, eat your fart out. Yeah. Eat your fart out. You didn't Nostradamus. predict that one. Yeah. You uh, dumb, dumb, dumb. Uh, do you... Uh, uh, so the opening is when they do the little like handheld yeah. to the thing. Too many obnoxious boys, though. You were saying how they act. Is the, I want to ask you this. Is this the first time the earliest version in a movie where they do the thing of two teenage boys pretend to be gay as a joke. Uh, I wonder it might be. Yeah. It's weird. Cause it is its own timely version of some, I wouldn't call it progress. No, but the fact that there's no, not. there's no moment where they go. Ew. They're just kind of like, it's two guys rolling on a bed together, kind of going like, I'd let you play hide the sausage. I, I'm saying it's a different form yeah. of homophobia than two guys 
on a street looking at across the street at a guy they think is gay and yelling a slur at him. Yeah. So it, it, it it's just a it's a weird thing to see in a movie because you're like, huh? It is offensive, but that's how my friends in junior high and high school. That was one of the jokes. Yeah, was to act like you're gay and not put a spin on it that you're doing anything offensive, but it is offensive because the joke is, can you imagine if I was? It's ha, ha, ironic, ha. like ironic racist humor. And the fact that I'm not gay and me saying, I don't think it's offensive is, is problem. You know, yeah. clearly if I was gay and I had feelings about this, they'd be legitimate to be like, I'm yeah. offended. That sucks. But uh, yeah, there's just something about, I don't know that Thomas Wilson's jock, like, stature and delivery that makes it so especially hard to stomach. Mm-hmm. And he's got biff baggage. He's got biffage. Yeah, and and I really like him too. He was on I was there too. Mm-hmm. He seems really nice, but he does seem to be harboring a certain amount of rage in there somewhere. <laughs> and you yeah. so when you couple that kind of humor with someone like that, it does feel, I mean, his character is kind of a bully. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. there's mo- there's one moment where he gets angry. He's like, we got to go do this. I was like, Biff. Yeah. Whoa, I just saw Biff there. Yeah. yeah. Was this, I guess if it came out in spring 86, is he making this after Back to the Future? I think they out? made it in 85. When did Back to the, what time of year did? That came out in July 85. And so they made it early 85. Yeah, so he he would have already made wow. Back to the Future, which is interesting. Also, why didn't his career have more? Was it is he was he difficult? Why couldn't he get cast? He's talented. Yeah, I don't know if you get typecast as a bully and then that's yeah. a hard thing to like. I guess he was shooting the two sequels too but oh during your prime kind of like cast me time i guess i don't know yeah when i saw him as a on the tonight show as a kid he was a stand-up and i remember being like knocked out by that being like now i know that he's a stand-up and And like guitar comedy yes yeah um don't stop or we'll die our band was talking about how it'd be really funny if one night we covered his song so stop asking me the questions you know the song that was like was it real manure no (laughs) Like, is that funny that a yeah yeah? What if a solo songwriter in like Phoenix, Arizona, did an open mic and just covered Thomas F. Wilson? Stop asking me the question. So <laughs> loses some context. Um, yeah. Who was your? Yeah, you said um, Muffy was probably your favorite of the. Actors. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um. When they go on the island and uh, she goes and she looks at the jack in the box. Um, oh, that's the thing that throws me. Sorry, I don't mean to cut no, you. No, that's what I was bringing up. That That is my problem with this movie is you start with this flashback and this demon jack in the box, which I guess in itself is just a scary, traumatic April Fool's joke that was played on her. But you just expect so much more out of this thing is like that part of the lore and legend of what we're going to see. And then she gets a jack in the box at the end and it's regular. And then it just it just is a weird thing that Mm -hmm. is an oversight on the filmmakers, whether they mean to or not, but that 
you can't help expecting more from that thing that never comes and it feels hollow and empty when you don't when it's not used yeah there had to be something in that original yeah that like incorporated the answer to why that jack-in-the-box was so life-changing for that family and also that that weird demon jack-in-the-box existed in what would have been probably 1960 late 50s yes regardless of the clothing that these people were wearing in their flashback (laughs) (laughs) and that's the last shot that little demony jack-in-the-box oh yeah well that one yeah that one with the the harlequin kind of yeah clown but then there's the oh in the beginning that like actual demon creature kind of yeah 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 ghoulie um yeah oh mom my jack-in-the-box, you got to return it. It's got a gooey inside. Right, dears. Wash your hands for dinner. We're having salad forks. This isn't the first uh, uh, jack-in-the-box I feel like we've seen in a horror movie. And it does feel like when, like a like a child's play or something. Like, I feel like when a movie is like a fun horror movie, they love nothing more than the metaphor of a jack-in-the-box. Oh, yeah. Those little stinkers. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, and also when the the flashback is set up at the beginning, it's a little like Chekhov's flashback. You're really expecting, like, exactly. if you're setting this up at the beginning, <laughs> then I'm expecting an answer yeah. by the end. Yeah. What's so important that you got to stop your movie two minutes in and tell me about a demon-sized back in the jocks? That would be like if you started a road trip and about two miles in, somebody pulled over and was like, bleep, 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 bleep. And you're like, huh? And then they got back on the road and then you drove for three days and then when you got to your destination, they went, bleep. And you're like, oh. You mean what Christy <laughs> Brinkley does in vacation? <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, we were talking, my wife and I, we were talking about vacation and how beautiful Beverly D'Angelo is. Yeah. And uh, just... And then she was 29 in that. No shit. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she is like a... 14 or 15 year old kid. Yes. Clark Griswold is a sleaze. She was impregnating a 13 year old girl. 14, 13, 14, 15 when she had Russ. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when uh, uh, we were just talking about how, what a catch Beverly D'Angelo would be for Clark Griswold. And Leslie pointed out a good thing. She was like, that's why the Christy Brinkley thing never quite worked for me as a kid. Yeah, same. It is a little strange, even just hair color. Just make yeah. Mrs. Griswold's hair be a different color than yeah. Christy Brinkley's. What a weird mistake. I always had a thing for Christy Brinkley. Then I saw that movie and I was like, I'm I'm a Ellen Griswold guy. I was I was more attracted to Beverly D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh what about when it's different music though? You know, that's. A- but that's different than the theatrical. Like, this is one of those things where. I know this? What? Usually, when a movie goes to video or cable and they can't get the music rights, they'll switch it and it's like, oh, there's one copy of Fast Times at Ridgemont High where it's all sound alike. It's not the real music. Vacation, I think, is a famous version where. It had music playing in the theatrical version. It hit video, and that's what you see now and what people know and love. What was in the original Let me look movie. it up. Let me look oh it up, my, my friend. God. And I'm wondering, did... Oh, wow. Well, speaking of music, yeah. just when you're looking this up. Please. This score of April Fool's Day was by a Bernstein. Is he related to either Elmer or Leonard? Or? Ooh, a little... Uh, 
music in the fam. Yeah. Uh, I noticed he wrote that song at the end. I was like, you pooped in my pants. God, that was, that is a weird slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, Not since Golden Eyes, there been a worse ending song. What's the last? Is it the reprise of the Golden Eye? No, that'd be fine. I it's, always think about anytime I read Golden Eye, I read it in Craig Rowan's singing voice from James Bond. Dude. Oh, yeah. It's like Golden Eye. <laughs> <laughs> no, the ending song to Golden Eye is the composer who did the worst Bond score, Eric Serra, who's like a French kind of like mm-hmm. almost like house trip hop composer. Mm-hmm. It's just this slow love song called. The experience of love. Oof. It's so bad. Well, when I was talking about how this music that we walked the, I think April Fool's Day is the same year as the best walkout and credits music. Uh, when we were like Maximum Overdrive, had she shook me all night long. Uh, yeah, we were like, if every movie's end credits, people would that movie would be a blockbuster. So you run out and be like, that's the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Okay, I found the original with the original score. Whoa. That's it? Yeah. Isn't that weird? (laughs) Some Burger King ad. (laughs) Oh. Pay me, Burger King, for doing this. Pay me. Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited. Wow. That makes a lot more sense. But it's better the other one. I'm wondering, did they not want to pay for the music or they couldn't get the music? I'm always curious about that. Here's the thing, though. I've been in situations twice where licensing music from the Pointer Sisters was easier than other acts. So that's like what's weird about it. Like I've had specific experiences where it was like, oh yeah, the Pointer Sisters. Uh, uh, David wonder, Bowie's also really, really easy to license. When, yeah. I wonder if Pointer Sisters played a lot of hard ball early on and then realized they got over, they, got, they, they didn't go their way. Well, and they're uh, suddenly like, yeah, we'll take whatever you can give us. I mean, their whole soundtrack story is like incredible because that, you know, the Neutron Dance and Beverly yeah. Hills Cop, which is just, a banger of bangers. It really is. That was written for um God, I love that, that City of Fire, uh Walter Hill movie, um, Streets of Fire. Oh, Streets of Fire, yeah. And because it's a post-apocalyptic movie, that's why they wrote Neutron Dance, because it was supposed to be now it has no meaning. No, I'd never thought about what what is a neutron dance. But there's so many dance songs that are about um uh nuclear winter. Like what else? Uh, like nineteen ninety nine, Prince's nineteen ninety nine. What? How so? Uh, I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah, uh, and then all, he has other. Uh, um, and then uh, you dropped a bomb on me. Mm, yeah, that's right. I was trying to explain. A man and I were driving, and ninety nine lift balloons came on mm-hmm. by Nina. And I was trying to explain to her that. My generation specifically, I think you would fall into it too, and mm-hmm. people a little older than me as well. There is a permeation of existential fear in the pop culture that is different than the other, like definitely post 9-11, you see that in that version in all of the music and movies for sure. But 
nuclear war in the 80s, I think came, it was the first time it was ever used. I was trying, how did I explain mm-hmm. this? That people used art to express their fear pop in pop culture that would never have happened before. I know, I know there was like sixties demonstration and anti-war stuff, but that was like protest. This was existential dread. So pop songs were full of nuclear war references. Like, so you're, yeah, you're saying what you, uh, uh, you're agreeing, song. Yeah. You know, like, uh, talking about the bomb dropping right and, or uh it's the end of the world as we know it. there's like yeah. all these and then mad max if you're not even looking at music you're yeah. just looking at that was and nina and things like that because, it gets mentioned in april fool's day thomas elf wilson gives us like monologue and it seems to kind of be the thesis i actually thought this is frank mancuso jr statement about his generation in this time period the brett easton ellis like graduating from college in the mid eighties crowd, they go, I didn't get the job. I thought this was a little dumb and contrived. He's like, I didn't get a job because Rob didn't get a job because he was told he had a lack of seriousness. And then Archie goes, same thing happened to me. I missed out on something because they said I'm not serious enough. Why be so serious when there's a nuclear, uh, they could drop a bomb at any point and you could die. Why? Who cares about being serious? And so I was like, uh, and because then that's in the same conversation where he's like I find it so interesting that we're all privileged people who could go and do amazing things and none of us know what we want to do and it's the thing I maybe most appreciate about April Fool's Day I was like they're trying to either by accident or whatever they're trying to make this thematically rich with the idea of a movie about pranks and surprises and being yeah, silly really in like April Fool's too. Day. Yeah. And they're kind of going like, it almost like it was a, they'd be Generation X-ish there that they'd be the early tip of yeah. Not quite. No, nah, they'd be late boomers. Yeah. I think, but um, but the, uh, uh, the kind of the thing of Who cares about the future? It doesn't really fucking matter. We could all die. I did think the movie was capturing some sort of sentiment that yeah. you're saying was also in pop songs. And, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I was trying to put my finger on it because it was just... essential dread. Yeah. yeah. And it was... There was something about the, like, the generation, especially of like, English musicians, that they're essentially in Europe it's way more at their doorstep than America even, but mm. this is also the time when the day after comes out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you are a generation, generation X and a little older that are aware that their lives could, they're like shadows could turn into burned shadows. Isn't that what? Mm-hmm. Someone, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He says that. Yep. Yeah. It could be just shadows on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, we have no control over the negotiation of it, the waging of it. Uh-huh. It was the elder people that had all of that in their pockets. So all we could do was protest or write songs or make uh-huh. movies and put it in there. And and that just like, you think about a pop song and you think you want to, they were dancey songs, yeah. but you're still like lacing it with nuclear Armageddon images and 
people liked that. Like there was something yeah. comforting about going, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And I find I realize up like so many of my talent songs are just laced with nuclear war imagery because yeah. I'm still of that generation that when I write a song, it's often I'm thinking about the past and, and yeah. thinking about childhood or whatever. And that to me has a weird romance and that is weird. Oh that yeah. Because it's, it's the, it's the pop stuff that I have romance for, not the fear of nuclear war that I, I don't want that. But there was something about that era that it had a gravitas to it that wasn't just fluffy, you know? Yeah, I would add to that too. Uh, totally, dude. Totally. I'd add to that too, the sort of um, satanic panic. Yeah, Satanist yeah, yeah. thing too. I remember yeah. talking about this with my friend uh, Rick in high school. And he said to me one time, he was like, do you ever think about how like the 80s feel felt scary? scary yes and, and i was yeah. like yeah yeah tell me more about it. he's like like satanist just like and i think it, it it's something that it's the blue velvet thing probably of like the more the culture is trying to tell you everything is good it's yeah. morning in america exactly. reagan 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 exactly the more a group of people go like fucking no these are the worms and bugs underneath the that's why spielberg yeah. was the man of the hour because he could give you kid comfort but also there was always an underlying spookiness yes 99 Luft Balloon, Luft balloons is a perfect example that song is so poppy and so catchy i love it so much yeah. and it's all about war yeah and yeah yeah, just, yeah the juxtaposition of that is something you just don't get mm -hmm. in any pop anymore do you um well like actual radio pop i'm talking no about. you know it's funny because i was thinking like um with that oh the fear, the existential dread that people were feeling during that time. Well, Cold War didn't happen. And I think, and sometimes people look back on that with a little like, eh, we were so silly to ever think that would ever, you know, or, but at the time it wasn't, it was real shit. Yeah. People feared it. And come to find out there were at least two or three times when it almost did happen and was a split second away from not happening. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And the fact that what I was going to say is kind of brings it, you know, there was a little bit of um, my heart broke a little bit with the 2020 election that the way the left chose to get people to vote was fear. Yeah. This is like, that's the rights tactic. Yeah. They get yeah. you into yeah. the it's voting booth with, with scared fear. Yeah. Ours is open change. It's yeah. the, Hey, my things can be changed. Yeah. There's, Nothing to, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Let's yeah. do it, you know? And then, uh, so I, I've lately been thinking, oh, how is art or culture, whatever, being shaped by the right and the left right now have something, I don't want to say to gain, but just both of their things are fear right now. Yeah. That, that's right. The, the motivating thing in both of their platform a little bit so i've been thinking like how is that going to shake out now it sounds almost like it's kind of the same as the cold war thing because that was a right and left thing yeah if you were right you believed. uh let's do the star wars whatever you yeah. or if you're on the left you're like no nukes yeah. you're protesting it both people had something to gain it was kind of like i don't know if post cold war pre 9-11 the things to f uh, the fear couldn't be 
put in a bottle so easily or something. And or... I think there was honestly less of it because terrorism hadn't blossomed. It is it it, it was happening. Mm-hmm. But the Cold War was over and there was no 9-11. At least in America, there wasn't mm-hmm. like a proliferation of the fear of terrorism. But even that is so centralized and localized where nuclear war was the world is going to die. <laughs> Yeah. And so when you're little and listening to super catchy music with this, like also this medicine of fear that goes Mm -hmm. along with it, it bakes in you in a way that like the Backstreet Boys never can. And even I would say like as much as I love early Beatles and stuff, Mm -hmm. it won't stay with you the same way. Maybe something like Revolution will or or Strawberry Fields or something something that has darkness. Yeah. Specifically whatever the fear of your time is, if you can bake in perfect <laughs> melody with yes. perfect fear, which is probably why we like getting back to horror movies, love it so much. Yeah. It's Especially a pretty from a specific fa- potent era. cocktail. Yeah. yeah. And every, I think every generation has their version of that, but I do think that the nuclear one is as, I mean, by definition, it's global. It's, it's cataclysmic and yeah. apocalyptic in a way that other things haven't been earthquakes we, or whatever. You when you, that's all. Well, so when you were saying the thing about um, how Spielberg had that secret sauce, you know, I told you off mic that I saw the Fablemans and yeah. I really, uh, I loved it. And um, uh, there's a scene in there that's gets a little bit at an answer to what I've, thing is like maybe one of the most interesting things about Spielberg, which is like he'll make E.T. in 82, a movie that just like makes the entire world fall in love with E.T. and by extension, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And then his follow-up is Temple of Doom, which is this insane movie where hearts are being pulled out and children are being whipped. And there's a scene in Fablemans. I won't spoil it for you or people who haven't seen it, but people who have seen it. It's somebody trying to be like, why did you use your movie to make me feel good and make me look good? It's actually making me feel bad. And I was like, I think that's like what Jaws is that. Jaws is like, this dude gave me the complete escapist entertainment that I could possibly ever want in a movie. Oh, and now life. But now I don't want to go into the ocean again. Oh, yeah. It's such a cool thing. It's like, because I think he gets a little painted too much as like the populist who gives people what they want. It's like, no, 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 no. His thing is really the sophisticated thing. I'm giving you what you want and it's going to I'm going to walk away with it with some sort of... I even felt that way after E.T. I remember feeling like E.T. lives, but I lost a friend because the movie ended. Yes. And yeah. I was heartbroken. It's all about, yeah, the visceral yeah. experience. And and that's amazing. And I've had that happen in my adult life. When Deadwood ended, I missed those characters like they were my mm. friends. <laughs> and I was so sad that it was over because I wanted more time with those people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God it was a TV show and not a movie. Really. I know. I know. I You're like, f- I want to be more along with Padawan. <laughs> Why can't I get more Padawan time? I don't know what Padawan. You, yeah. Is I pronouncing that right? Padawan? Yeah. Yeah, from the prequels? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine um, you I'd say just- we go with uh, uh, Jet Lucasa. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Rick or, well, Rick Ole wasn't one, but he's not a Jedi nor a Paul. He's a uh, Naboo pilot. Come on. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You catch him pretty quick for a kid. 
That's Rick Ole's. Oh, I think maybe one of his only lines. Uh, I know him as Adele from Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Ways Roll Two. Oh, but in Ways Roll Two, they make Leprechaun jokes. So that was. Oh, I, I think uh, Rick Ole may have passed away. Sad to say. Who? Rick Ole. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Not the character, the man. <laughs> the actor. Um. Uh. The um. When they're taking that um the boat out to the island um you get to meet all their little characters like the southern hit guy and yeah stuff. he was the only one that didn't get to go to the hotel to hang out because they hadn't couldn't find someone for that role and they brought him right up right when they started the shoot but they thought that's okay because he's kind of an outsider anyway oh but that poor guy I nobody know. likes to get in on have to fit in yeah um the uh uh when that guy got smashed by the boat, because it happened right after a practical joke, what did you think? Did you think that was a practical joke or you're like, oh, they did a joke, it got a hand and things I, got yeah, real? Yeah, I bought it because I just thought that's the way they're playing it. Joke than, than the ironic, like, you're, this is your punishment. Yeah, because that's usually what happens in slasher movies. The yeah. prank happens and then a real accident happens. Uh I maybe because I had some residual memory of like, is everything a joke in this movie? Like I couldn't nail down. Like I misremembered the ending that, that like they revealed that it was a film crew. Like I, I made that up. It was like a sort oh. of like they put the clapboard at the end and it's kind of like, oh. ha ultimate joke. Wow. That didn't happen. <laughs> Did you ever play that knife game? Now I always get confused, which is mumbly peg. If it's the one they're playing or the one that Bishop does to, uh, what's his name's hand in aliens. Yeah. So yeah. And the one in aliens, but which one are you talking? The one they're playing in this movie where you stand kind of in a circle with your legs spread and you have to throw a knife between someone's legs. I used to play this a bunch as a kid. Damn. Yeah. You brave. We, we, we wouldn't do it on wood. We do it in grass. Uh huh. Or, or there's something about, you have to throw it where you can still reach it. I'm trying to remember how to play it. It was really fun. And are you trying to, can you move or is the thing I like. Think you can pivot. You have to turn on one foot and be able to get to the knife. If I remember correctly, but I don't remember how you get someone out. Like it has to be out of their reach or something. The way somebody's out is if uh, they're rushed to the emergency room. Yeah. Okay, babe. Okay, babe. Uh, did you hear that line where they go, um, uh, you can see the Kennedys. Yeah. That uh, was the only, the Canadian it, Kennedys. I know the Vancouverite Kennedys. <laughs> I know. So this is, that's the only, is that the only clue you get as to where this is supposed to be set? Like off main, I think. Yeah, I guess so. There's a main license plate maybe or something. But that opening felt like Friday the 13th part eight, where it was yeah. like a bunch of kids meeting up on a dock to go on a boat and yeah. it's Vancouver. And I'm yeah. like, hey, just yeah. stay here. I like the fog. Crystal Lake. Uh, when they, uh, uh, I do, I did like the girl characters when they're doing the little questionnaire. That was improvised. Well, they were doing it on set and then the director said, hey, let's do that. And then gave them new questions seem to have dirtied them up quite a bit. But. Yeah, I mean, I remember my sisters would have those magazines I don't know, yeah. but I'd be scandalized. Yeah. And it was probably like PG-13. This right. was yeah. R-rated yeah. Uh, questionnaire. But when she goes, uh, I had an orgasm, what could I say? And all the girls go, ah, I would laugh. I'm now, I'm like, oh, I can see how that was improvised because I really, 
It reminded me of um, Fun Friday 4 stuff where you can tell they just cast actors who got along and were talking. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the... uh, Yeah, didn't... the, The dramatic scene... This is the line that I was like, what play is this from that he's doing? Poor boy can say, fuck you, dad. I'm my own person. What's his father going to do? Playwright wrote that. Do you think maybe that they're like improvising? He's talking about Ryan O'Neill. Yes. Or they were just like, (laughs) they were like, uh, can you stop talking about your dad? We have to shoot this scene. He's like, no, roll, roll. Are you kidding? Go, go, go. I want three cameras on this. When he came back from shooting Paper Moon, he's like, we'll stake that out. (laughs) And my sister Tatum won the Oscar. We'll say sister Brad won the Grammy. (laughs) And then he started dicking Farrah Fawcett. What? And then the girl's nan is like, what? I thought you were upset about the killing that man on a boat. Excuse me? Um. Then we get some real run of practical jokes. You got your whoopee cushion, your breakaway chair. Chair. What is this cups. chair that resets itself? I want one of those. I know. Terrified. It's like, yeah. like a transformer I know. chair. That like scary cherry. It seems like it's maybe made by Imagineers. You know how yeah. like the fun thing of when you go past a little motion thing and then you look back and you kind of see everything get like reset in a weird way. Oh yeah. yeah. That's what I, I imagine that. that chair does. Oh, I like at Universal Studios, the way the Jaws, I mean, they make a hay out of it. They'll say they stop and go, and then it's the bridge that rebuilds itself. <laughs> the backside of water. Uh, backside of water is my favorite. Yeah. Don't make joke. Uh, I, it is funny that this does feel like a mid eighties version of like, uh, you know, like Friday the 13th, the first one is like, you're going to have to come into a crummy, rundown campground, get this all set up so you can be counselors. And this is like, they go to this like fancy house. Yeah. They're all rich. And this is just about them like dicking around for a weekend. I know. Uh, but it did also just feel very. 80s right it was just like so material like oh for sure holy yeah. crap and you get the feeling like these are the liberals too and they're <laughs> still pretty conservative and yeah i remember somebody listening to uh, uh the rewatchables and uh they were talking about breakfast club and the person said they thought that time period's interesting because it was the only time period where you could be the most popular person in pop culture and it was cool to be Republican. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, was there, it, 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 I remember as a kid, liberal celebrities just getting painted with the biggest lameoid Chris Christopherson brush. Well, yeah. Hanoi Jane. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, Michael Dukakis, the great triple threat singer, actor, dancer. <laughs> <laughs> My friend uh, Ellen told me once she was like, she would have been six around this time. She was playing with her Barbies and her mom like walked by and just like listening on Ellen playing with her Barbies. She heard her mom heard her go with the da. I'm voting for Michael Dukakis. (laughs) (laughs) Why? The tank ad worked. He's butch. I know it was supposed to make me be against him, but I found him. He can drive a tank into my heart. <laughs> um, 
Now, I thought this was going to be an all-in-one nighter. Yeah, because it's April Fool's yes, Day, Yes, exactly. The, they really kind of dispatch that. It was weird, right? Yeah. I think they could have done it all in one night. I think so, too. They should have. And it would have been like, I noticed at one point she goes, April Fool. I'm like, is April that trying Fool? to cover up? <laughs> April Fool weekend. <laughs> April Fool's month. <laughs> it's April Fool's year. April Fool's year, yeah, that was a uh, 1996. Oh, uh, no. Thinking he could win. <laughs> uh, what did you? I didn't quite understand that guy getting weirded out by the six die in the fog headline. That seemed to be like his Agatha Christie backstory that he didn't want people to. In the same way that the girl had the abortion, didn't like the sound of the baby crying on the tape. Oh, that's what that was. And why did Biff get heroin equipment? Was he a junkie? It, yeah, and then uh, the S&M gear. Yeah. It all seemed to be like, I know your secrets. So I just didn't understand the what the guy, the hick, seeing that headline. Yeah, that was, was weird like because they also fog. each individually got little pranks, like the the faucet, the chair, the doorknob. Yeah. Why yeah, that that is where there there is some real unconnected dots in this yeah. movie that that ding it quite a bit. That's why I think I had a hard time getting into it at first. And mm-hmm. then it ironically, even though those weren't answered, I was more into it as it went along, which Yeah. Usually is the opposite for these movies. They'll kind of lose me towards the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um what about an exploding cigar, though? I'll take it anytime I can get it. Hey, any movie for grownups that has a painting with moving eyes, I, I got to give a full the, I have to. It is brilliant to pull it apart, and there's one of those wagging tail cat clocks. Yeah. That was great. And then the, and then the head do reveal. the thing with the head thing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, when Skip goes out into the garage or something, he gets attacked by a cat. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Do you think that cat knew it was April Fool's Day? Yeah. Is <laughs> a little prank. There's a breed of cats that they're bred for that. You know, Those tuxedo ones? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why they're so classy. Yeah. Well, they, they also do breaks. New Year's evil cats too. So they dress in <laughs> formal wear. Um, the, um, then Rob and Amy Steele, they go off and they have sex on that. I thought that was cool when the body went on yeah, floated the underneath the planks. Yeah, I love that too. Um, and I I I like the idea that this character Amy Steele has is like Ginny, but with like blue eyeshadow. So that means she like <laughs> reaches out and touches dicks and stuff. Did you see that yeah, part? Yeah. And then also like puts down a blanket, and wants to have sex on the thing. Yeah. I would be so bummed out about that corpse floating under there. I know. <laughs> Unless that's your thing. Yeah, a real sick twist. The single most baffling element in this entire movie to me, and once I saw it, I could not stop thinking about it. Ginny and Rob come back from what's her name? What's her name in the movie? Nikki? Uh, no, that's the uh, Nikki Zilla. I, I just I wrote forget. it down as Amy Steele. Okay, Amy Steele and Rob <laughs> come back. They're certain they've seen Skip's corpse float by. They're mm-hmm. freaking out. They're telling everybody. They don't know what to do. They're in their like swimsuits. So they go get dressed. 
If she's so in despair and so afraid, she takes the time to put on, I get it, a button up shirt and jeans, but she takes time to put on a fashion tie, a tie. She puts on a tie and I don't know why that bothered me so much. I loved it. But what what moment was she like, I've got to accessorize <laughs> to handle this situation. My friend is dead. I went to mourn I, in style. Oh God, it was so funny. That was the main, that was when I was like, this is paste weird. It's like after he's, then they have yeah. that like long silent scene where she's like walking around the house and yeah. runs into Muffy and stuff. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Archie then gets killed. Um, strung up like Friday 13th part two style by that little. Let me just ask in hypothetics, uh, if Muffy's going to continue to throw these murder mystery weekends, what if you've got like an 80 year old woman, you're really going to grab her by the foot, by some rope and string her up in some trees. <laughs> they have to assign like the biggest, like stack of liability farms. Yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she said it wouldn't be intent as intense because people would no- go in knowing that's true. Um, but that's then I was true. like, well, that ain't a true rehearsal then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, We got another movie, two in a row, with a well of water and a bucket. Leprechaun had that, I got to go to the the bucket with the well scene. Um, I liked it. I thought that was kind of the best example of the movie where it starts off being silly and then it got serious and suspenseful yeah that was probably the most scary part of the movie it wasn't a very scary movie at all no that's it's it's very brightly lit as well yeah even though i like the cinematography yeah no it actually made me think like if somebody has a friend who isn't into horror movies so much likes 80s movies Mm -hmm. this could be just a fun it also felt like it's in line with um the new uh you know the uh knives out movies of just like yeah a twist on yeah. Agatha Christie whodunit stuff. Is this the first movie we've covered on here where no one dies? <sighs> I mean, it would make sense. This is a horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Um, yes, because that means it's all psychological. Um, I can't think of a single yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, uh, even in the yuppie nightmares, usually the bad guys get off. Yeah. And, and misery, she dies, and so does Farnsworth. And- what about um, consenting adults? Oh, no. Spacey got his, didn't he? He must have. Right? You're going to when you run around with a semi automatic <laughs> weapon, my man. A mini Uzi. A mini Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> and you, got, you had it coming. I, I did think, though, that this movie like pulled off. I think it wasn't successful because of the things, you know, it wasn't delivering on the goods, but I think it was maybe just a little too. I'm not going to say ahead of the time or whatever, but just like it is doing the stuff that Scream is trying to do later and was successful about, which is like. Hey, we're trying to tell you we know this is all yeah. a cliche by this point. So right. we're trying to shake it up. Um Yeah, I like that. Uh the um I like it when she's like, I can't drink this water. She's like, it's all right, it's Perrier. <laughs> this is good. Her delivery on that. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, it's Perrier. <laughs> mm. 
Um, Privileged. The uh, then they have that little falling out where they start kind of having the Agatha Christie. They start accusing each other yeah. and thinking, and then they go off and Chaz and Nikki argue about whether she should leave, and he's kind of cracking her up with S and M headwear and stuff. I want to tell you about um. Uh, real quick, I went to uh, like a storytelling show um, once at a theater where, you know, in, in LA, you know, those shows where it's like, you tell a real story from your life. Yes. Um, and it's an anecdote, and, but it's kind of like a stand up set. Right. The person came up and um, they told about their experience going to see a dominatrix. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm all down for a story, hearing somebody share that story. And I'm not, uh, would never say don't tell that story. But the way the person told the story was so weird. His attitude was like, he couldn't believe what this weirdo was suggesting. What got him there in the first place? Yeah, he's like, so I go in there. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I mean, if this was the conceit, it would be really funny, a guy's in this much denial. The Matrix, I thought you said The Matrix. <laughs> But he he uh he's like I go in there and she's like I'm gonna chain you up and I'm like okay yeah chain me up and then she's like I'm gonna whip you twelve times I'm like okay if you really want to you can I whip. suppose you're gonna charge me for it too <laughs> I'm I was like you weirdo uh, you're judging her <laughs> this was his fetish just to be condescending to a dominatrix like that he pays. the ultimate domination is condescending a dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> the real uh, switcheroo. <laughs> Did you know that this movie has a plot point where it involves them waiting for Constable Potter? <laughs> <laughs> Constable Potter? Like, what year is this movie? George We'd Bailey. We'd like to get to the boat to see if Constable Potter was here. <laughs> you don't um, ever get that savings and loan. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, The just wrapping up here. Um then it just starts playing out like kind of like a slasher. There's 15 minutes left, and that's when Rob and Jenny figure out uh, that this is real. They see blood and start flipping out. Uh, there was one really good line where, oh, I like that the, um, you know, the oldest, sweatiest cliche thing is... Um, the escaped lunatic. Yeah. So I just thought it was cool that they get a letter. They're like, yeah, it escaped lunatic. It's a solid, you know, it's got a certain amount of Christopher Nolan, like how would all that work uh-huh. in retrospect? But the premise of her idea for this weekend is really good. Yes. The twins, one's escaped. And then you see the heights measured. And then one, this is like one height measure is cool. gone. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. yeah she, I yeah. mean, Muffy's got it all. She's got brains, <laughs> beauty, humor, Perrier. <laughs> She's got it all. Uh, the, uh, uh, dimples, the rimples. She's got dimples. Um, the, um, I also like the, that Muffy Buffy was like, uh, a female slasher. Yeah. Uh, so seeing her run around being a crazed killer was really cool. Um, and this reveal for this movie was always going to be 
a tricky thing. They were going to have to make a good choice. And I think the way they chose to do it was pretty good. Yeah, me too. That like they're talking silently when she walks into the room. She doesn't even know if they can see her. Like there's a multitude of ways that they could have presented that. Yeah. That's an interesting one, right? Yeah, yeah it was good. Um, Cause I also liked what she was like. <laughs> that guy was like Buck Williams makeup artist. I know shit like I that. Know. It was like felt like a Scooby Doo. I've never done any acting before. How about you? My favorite part. <laughs> I'm waving my hand up in the air. I'm so excited that you mentioned that. That was my favorite part. That was like I'm not much of an actor. And Gamma Goo and everybody's like ha 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 like a Scooby Doo episode. Everybody's last. We love you. You work good. <laughs> He's the type of guy like in real life that somehow happens upon a performance one time and they get like a laugh or two and then they're like I'm gonna go try for community theater oh I love those I do too the retiree uh, community theater person yeah I always thought this could be fun people tell me I'm funny Uh, and then yeah the little uh, oh that was cool with uh, um, uh, mama told me not to come kicked on and they were partying um, so I don't know if you've ever listened to the commentary for the game. No. Uh, but David Fincher near the end goes, um, the game really is just kind of about movies and the trick they're trying to pull on Michael Douglas in the movie is really just kind of about the trick a movie maker is trying to, how far can they push it to where you believe it? When does the spectacle become too big or, you know, it's not big enough. And uh, I don't know if he says this, but at the end that the little party he has is almost kind of like a rap party for, for the production. I, when I was watching April Fool's Day, there was a moment where I was like, this is a really kind of cool conceit. It's like, as if, two characters in a horror movie got pulled out and were like, you're actually in a horror movie and you're safe. Don't worry. Let's, let's laugh. And yeah. Cause that part when Rob was flipping out in the closet and they brought him out and then they were like, no, 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 this is just a, it's all a goof. When they started, when mama told me not to come came and they were having champagne and taking the decapitated head and feeding it champagne for a moment. I was like, did they just film the rap party? I know, maybe. Was this just the last shot? And they're like, yeah, we're going to have champagne now. It just like looked so fun. Well, it probably was just like, we're going to turn on the cameras. You guys all know each other. Have some fun. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. But that was like the final moment of the it feeling kind of like, uh, oh, this is about horror movies and how horror movies are made, but also like, well, Muffy's trick was pretty good for her who done it weekend. Yeah. So was it good enough as a movie too? Like yeah. Uh, but um it's funny that this movie didn't do that well in theaters, but because of its relatively low gore and nudity, it had a big life on cable TV and I think even network TV. I forget oh, if wow. I read that in Brantley's notes or on IMDB. And that so it developed a following after the fact. That's good. Yeah. yeah I could see it being almost like um for a, an 11 year old, even like a good. Yeah. 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 It is kind of a young adult horror movie. <laughs> yes. Yes. A Fear Street version of yeah. Friday 13th. Well, should I read some baby xenomorphs? Mm. And we'll um, give our ratings and Please best do. kill and such. First of all, uh, 
Chris Ledbetter would like you to read his name, Chris Ledbetter, to the same cadence as this means pepper. <laughs> this means pepper. Chris Ledbetter. <laughs> <laughs> as usual, you can get your name read. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com if you subscribe at the baby xenomorph level. Um, wanted a sh- uh, This person wants a shout out from Zelda Rubenstein. Hello, Kevin Chavez. Aren't you a beautiful little thing? Uh, Paul, uh, this person, Jonathan Love, would like you to read their name out as Jack Blade. What's the his name? His name is Jonathan Love. Uh, hey, Jack Blade saying your name, Jonathan Love. <laughs> uh, oh, this guy wants me to draw a weird mall killed on Paul's forehead, which was a Pistol Shrimps radio joke, but just imagine it. It's beautiful. I, I, drew, I drew a weird mall kid on his forehead. I'm oh, loving these deep dive, yeah. uh, deep references, deep cuts. Chad R. New or Noy. Uh, and then, um, uh, uh, Zadar fan, they just, they have no requests, just a straight up name read. And I appreciate that. That sounds like the, um, a version of my, my wife's last name, Orphan. Oh yeah. And, uh, this person wants their name in a Dutch accent. Um, Julius Kocher, Julius, Julius Kocher. That's, that's the best it. I can that's do. Good. Okay. Um, that's it. Um, oh, I realized we didn't um, talk about, did you notice that part when Rob zipped up his zipper in the bedroom and it was the loudest zipper in the world? No. It was like, oh, that's apparently like there Tim was Allen, a but... cutout part where he was having an affair with a married woman before and that's why they were late and that's why his fly was down. That's in the novelization apparently. <laughs> yeah, which kind of... <laughs> Puts a weird spin on his character that you're supposed to. Yeah. Like. Also, uh, Chaz, I thought was going to the well too much, uh, not the literal well of the zipper down. He yeah. did it like three times, and also, I never really thought that was a big prank. No, because a then it's not down. You're like, okay, well, it's not down. Yeah, so you crisis over. Yeah, you've you, you've done an expose. I. Dressed myself correctly. Nice. <laughs> yes. And also, if it was down, is that really ever a big deal? No. Unless... Does your dick like full? Oh, but he had a weird death. He was so fixated on uh, people's flies being down, but then I guess that was the oh, punctuation yeah. is that his yeah. dick got bloody. Weird. Let me know if that puts a point up for you. The dick being bloody, Matt. Maybe is, that is, is that it? your best kill? Um, bloody dick? No, the best kill was, well, none of them were real good, uh, but yeah. um, the, the well yeah, I'm, sequence. I'm doing well as well. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Now, out of 13, what we've got here is we've got Black Christmas. We both gave 13. New Year's Evil, I gave it an 8.5. You gave it a 9. My Bloody Valentine, uh, I gave an 11. You gave an 11.5. Leprechaun, I gave a 4.5. You gave it a 7.5. I'm going to give it a 10. 
a 10. I'll give it a nine. Hey. Um, oh, a, a comment I did, uh, wanted to share. You know, when the, when they bring up the home video camera yeah, and a couple times Thomas F. Wilson pretends he's like a host and he's like, we're here at da, yeah. da, da. or when they are going to the friends, the way that people present themselves on YouTube. Occasionally I'll watch like somebody's VHS. They'll put a thing that they put up and nine times out of 10, let me know if you identify with this. When video camcorders hit the scene from that until the iPhone developed, I feel like the predominant way people behaved when a home video camera got on them would be to present to be broadcasters. It's such a funny thing. Yeah. Everybody does it when it goes out of they're like, well, we're here today. Uh, yeah. Come over here. We're going to interview the cousin today. It's just such a yeah. weird. And then when the iPhone came along, I feel like now it's not that. It's not broadcasting. It's like, I don't want to say like vlogging. It is. It's YouTubing. They go, hey guys. Yeah. Yeah. So hey that's how yeah. it's changed. Oh, yeah. But do you remember that was like the funniest yeah. fucking joke in the world is to put on a home video where your uncle's behaving like a newscaster. Yeah. It still kills. It's still day. really funny. I mean, hold <laughs> up. Well, Maddie, I'll see you again. On the 24th for some Final Destination 1. Yeah. And, I haven't uh, seen a single one of these movies. Ooh. I'm excited. Um, and uh, hey, the 24th isn't the final day of February. But pretty close. Yeah. So final days to February. Final days to February nation. Uh, subscribe at Patreon. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's it, right? Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. Stay Happy subscribed. holidays. Bye now. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.